Welcome to the Volpreneur Podcast Channel. My very special guest today is Brad Hart, who has a 20-year experience as an entrepreneur and 16 years managing wealth under his belt. Brad is committed to helping entrepreneurs and investors reach their full potential so they can focus on solving the grand challenges of our time. With extensive experience in real estate, investments, trading, marketing, sales and peak performance strategy, he's built and helped build many several companies growing revenues and profits into the millions of dollars. Brad is a founding member of the Knowledge Business Blueprint, a speaking and training team led by Tony Robbins and Dean Graciosi, a community and self-education movement which has helped tens of thousands of people to launch their own masterminds. He's also built a mastermind um, in his latest initiative and in helping entrepreneurs add 100000 to their business in profits per year with only 5 to 10 hours per month time commitment. Brad grew up in New York and is, now lives in San Diego, California, which is one of my favorite places. Welcome, Brad, to the show. Brad grew up in New York and lives in San Diego, California. Um, welcome, Brad, to the show. Thank you so much for having me, John. I appreciate being here, and thank you to everybody for listening. Great. All right, that um, bio is interesting bio. It's a little bit like me. You've done a lot of different things. So I think um, one of the things with entrepreneurship is that they never stand still, right? Yeah, we got to keep it moving, you know? Yeah. Uh, if you slow down, you might just die. <laughs> we might run over the top of you. There's <laughs> one thing about, um, I think, you know, when you talk about someone's got experience, right, and, and they've pretty much done the same job for 20 years. So reality is they've probably got one year's experience times 20. Yeah, um, well, I've launched a lot of projects in that time. I've probably had three or four big successes and then a lot of, you know, eh, or total failures. Yeah. yeah. That's <laughs> totally part of it too. But experience yeah. is experience. And if you learn from your failures, then exactly. you don't do it that way the next time. Yeah, exactly. So I think having that breadth of, of understanding of the market is, is really important. So today we're going to talk about masterminds. Um, and I think it's an important thing. And in Australia, masterminds are not, not, not that big. So it's something that I've seen in America that's very big. Um, and all sorts of variations of masterminds, obviously the, the big ones and the, and the more intimate and the, all that sort of stuff. But in Australia, it's not that, that popular. Um, and I think it's a sad thing because I think masterminds are so powerful. Um, I would agree with you. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a formal mastermind either. You know what I mean? Like I think sure. people realize they do have masterminds. They just don't, it's not formalized, right? That's right, John. And, and what I'm realizing also is they have different names for what is essentially the same thing. We might put a different spin on it, but training workshops, uh, some sort of you know, corporate retreat could be a, a form of a mastermind. It's anywhere you get to get clarity on what you're doing by having people ask questions. It's getting connected to the resources, the opportunities, the people, and the systems that you need to move your mission forward faster. And it's really having that, that accountability and support and trusted environment where you can be vulnerable and authentic in what's going on so that people can serve you and they know where you're at and it's not you know, going to be used against you. So there's, um, there's a really, there's a lot of benefits to masterminding. And I think, you know, whatever you call it, it's, it's the same thing. It's people helping people. And that's the most important part. And so do you find that, um, you know, like the mastermind people have to be at a high level to you at the same level to you? What do you think is the best kind of mix to that scenario? So the, probably the most famous early mastermind was a mastermind of peers. So it was, uh, four big Titans of industry and I'm going to butcher all of their names, but it was like Westinghouse and Ford. And Edison was in this one. It was called the Vagabonds. And they were all at the same level of success, but in very different industries. So they could share insights about one another's problems that you, know, that you can get within your own thought bubble in your own industry. Mm. And you may not be able to get from your subordinates or even your peers because they're in competition with you theoretically. So, you know, have you as the hand li uh, head that lies the crown, you'd, you'd find other people who are at your level and do that. But you can have masterminds where you have a guru or a, a, a central figure that's, you know, you know, more experienced or has more success in the particular realm that everybody's trying to learn. 
you can have multiple experts, which is helpful, or you could just do a, a kind of a peer-based mastermind where everybody's you know, doing different things and they have different levels of success, but they all come around and bring their various perspectives to these particular issues, right? Because I believe it's all about gaining clarity. Mm. It's about having that accountability, that support to work through these problems, starting with the most important part, which is getting clear on what it actually is. A lot of people just dive right at the tip of the iceberg, but they don't get the whole iceberg. And I think the thing too is with a mastermind, if it's a good mastermind, people will give you honest answers and tell you the tell you the truth, right? Yeah, and, that's and the ideal piece. Right? Told the they truth. the same from you when you go on the hot seat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, I think if you if you rely on staff, you know, staff are not going to always tell you necessarily to tell the whole truth because they're worried they're going to lose their jobs. Your sure. your your vendors. They may not know. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and they may have a vested interest in 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 propagating the wrong solution or the wrong thing, or they might have political things going on. You know, there's just there's very few arenas and avenues where people can really be real, raw, and authentic and not get punished for it. And mm. I believe masterminds are one of those. Yeah, because there's no ramifications really at the end of the day, is there? I mean, that at the, I guess the whole thing also is they care, but not that much, right? Because at the end of the day, sure. I mean, it's not about them getting vested interest in it. 100%. You know, and I get clients all the time. They're like, well, I'm afraid to share this. I'm afraid to share that. I'm like, we're all under NDA here for a reason, right? Mm. If you're paying to be in my mastermind, which is a mastermind of masterminds, I teach people how to build masterminds you know, you're sharing things in the confidence that there's a legal agreement that everybody who joins this group has deigned not to share anything outside the group. Mm -hmm. And if there was a bad actor, which I'm pretty good at selecting people, and so is my team, but if there was a bad actor, they would be, uh, you know, they would be kicked out without a refund. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not super worried about that because they don't have any, there's a huge penalty for doing it and no real gain, right? Because most of these people, it's not going to, it's not like we're we're sharing trade secrets and industry information that can't go public. Like it's not, (laughs) not that level of dire, but you know, everybody thinks they're more important than they are and their secrets are more important than they think they are. And that's what per- perpetrates and, and perpetuates the issue is that nobody has, you know, they don't bring any air and, and waft out the room, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I think that's an interesting point because I get it a lot, and you probably do in, in your game too, is people say, oh, you know, I can't tell you what I'm doing because somebody might find out and copy me. And I go, that's, number one, most people are so lazy, they'll never will. If they do copy, they'll do a bad job of it. And, and at the end of the day, you look at some of these big companies that have copied other companies, it doesn't mean they've, they've succeeded. Like you look at the taxi sure. industry, try to copy Uber. They haven't been able to do that, right? Well, and, and just because you have an idea doesn't mean it's your idea, right? Mm. The, the steam engine was invented in four or five different places at once. Mm. When mm. an idea hits the mainstream and its time has come, it doesn't matter if you had it first. It's who took action on it first, who executed. That's 99% of the battle. Mm. Having an idea, I've had $10 billion ideas in my lifetime, easily. More than that, probably. I probably have one every other month. Like I'll probably have like a legitimate billion dollar idea every other month, but does that mean I'm actually going to go out and execute on it? Mm. And the answer is no. So I stopped being so uh, hung up on whether I have a good idea or not. It's like, well, am I the person to execute it? And if so, what's the next logical step that I can take to get momentum? Because momentum is everything in execution, as you know, as an entrepreneur, mm. you know, it's not getting stuck along the way. And some people are just so good at this that they, they upend multiple industries like Elon Musk. You know, he's yeah, yeah. He's doing rockets and cars and solar panels and all this crazy stuff because he understands that those ideas aren't new. Mm. Everybody's been talking about electric cars and solar and rockets forever, mm. but he had a new spin on them and he went and he acted on it as fast as he possibly could. And he's great at getting the people involved that have the smarts to do it because he couldn't do it all on his own. Mm. And I think that I was reading a book, I can't remember which one of this, I'm reading about quite a few, I think it might be in the Lean Startup or something like that. And it talks about the concept of you've got this great idea. So go and pitch it to some really big companies and see if they pay any attention. 
And the chances are they won't, right? They, they've got so much going on inside their own companies. They haven't got time to even look at your idea. Yeah. So it's not like they're going to steal your idea because they don't even care. Like until they actually start seeing well, it as they, direct competition even. They have so much more to lose than you realize. People have this like under, understanding of companies as being these behemoths that can just do no wrong and they can, they can get away with anything. They're above the law. And the reality is like they want to pay you. They want to license this from you. So they have a clear cut deal where you get a percentage and they get a percentage and they get you know, to, to leverage your intellectual property, but they want somebody to pay at the end of the day. They really want to be in partnership with somebody who is a creator because guess what? They are going to get your next idea and the next idea after that, you know, if you do good business. So it's very short-sighted for most people mm-hmm. to presume that people are going to steal from them before they've even created anything and then use that as an excuse not to start. Yeah, that's probably the reason, right? If you don't tell anybody, then um, because when we do book publishing, right, we say to clients, well, tell people you're going to write a book and you see this white face come up suddenly because they're thinking, oh, God, I can't tell anybody because if I tell them, then I'll have to do it, and right? That's real, yeah. yeah. And if I fail, then what does that mean about me? Because my identity is on the line. So yeah, yeah, yeah. if you have an idea out there, run full direction at it. And you're going to realize like that idea is not going to stay the same. It's going to no. be a different idea by the time it actually goes to market because mm. most people's first ideas aren't that good. You know, there's so many, if you look at any major company like Twitter or or Google or or any of these companies, they didn't nail it out of the gate. They started with one thing and they pivoted to another thing and they tried a lot of things that have failed. Mm. You know, it's just part of the process. So I'm reading um, Elon Musk's um, autobiography at the moment. It's quite interesting about PayPal and stuff and the fact that they actually... Did he write one? Is it an autobiography or is it a biography? It's an autobiography. Basically, someone, a journalist wrote it and it was quite, well, a long story short, but basically he was um, approached by this journalist. He gets approached quite a lot and he asked to write a book and he goes, no. And then the journalist said, well, um, I really want to do it. I'm going to do it anyway, if you don't, right? And Elon says, okay, well, as long as I can read it first before it goes to press and put, you know, cliff notes in and stuff, you're not seeing it before I write it. You're not seeing it until it's published. And it's like, in the end, kept saying no to him. So it's an autobiography, but it's really ghostwritten. Yeah, yeah. So Elon was really wants to, you know, have his own story. And he said, no, 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 it's going to be like, so in the end, he gave in because Elon didn't like things, actually likes being told no. All right, because he thinks that people really actually value something if they tell him he's wrong or that you know not to do it. So, so reading this, listening to this book was very interesting about PayPal because he basically bought they bought PayPal or they merged with another company that actually did have PayPal. So because they were doing one thing really well, and the other company was had a good idea, and that eventually got out by, bought out by eBay. But the reality was is that whole that what he tried to do was create a bank. He was actually going to create this big Yeah, X.com. That was the original idea. Yeah, X.com. Too big, too soon. We still still don't really have one online bank, although we have some that are kind of parts of an online bank. I think it was a missed opportunity because I think with with banking was they they cottoned on it pretty quickly. So most Mm -hmm. industries, I think, don't cotton on to things very quickly. Like you look at the tax industry or or anything like that sort of interest has been very disrupted, like the real estate industry and things like that. They don't get, they don't, they don't quick on as quick, but banks being a lot small, um, lot less of them essentially, and I think they talk. <laughs> they cotton on sure. very quickly. And, and Yeah, there's not a lot of seats at that table, I hear. No, exactly. And I think that's the reason. And they all copy each other. So yeah. um, I was reading, I don't know what I was reading the other day, so I'm talking about banks and they don't really have any new ideas, they just copy each other. Mm. And and so they were very quick. Once one thought of it, everybody copied it, and suddenly you're on. You know, I'm actually writing an article, a chapter about this whole thing, and want a book coming up. But and I think that's the thing. Like you, you got to look at it in the scenarios that you, you know, your particular idea may not even be the idea that floats in the end. It could be something totally different. Well, it might even be uh, the best idea. Like McDonald's is a hamburger company, ostensibly, mm. but they actually own the most expensive real estate in the York, in the world. Mm. So they happen to sell hamburgers and French fries and shakes. But what the they really estate. are is real estate holdings. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's not what you think sometimes. So yeah. um, tell me about masterminds and, and, and something that I've sort of spoken to clients about over the time. And I think 
what happens is they get tied up in the complexity of it and and they don't launch it and it gets too complicated and and then and that's sure. the end of it so what do, what do you sort of what's your because i know you've got yeah. a book called the eight minute mastermind so obviously right. it must be a bit quicker than normal right <laughs> yeah yeah so the whole idea of the book and you can check it out at eight minute and we'll give you some free goodies just for listening and get a 101 questions for facilitators, 50 recordings, and a, and a cheat sheet as well as an opportunity to grab the book, free plus shipping, just you know whatever it costs to get to your door. Anywhere in the world, we'll send it to you. Uh, you can check it out there. Um, the Eight Minute Mastermind, the name started out as the idea is like, I could do a hot seat in eight minutes. And that was what we were aiming at. And I just love the number eight. And I've had a lot of things happen in my life that are revolving around the number eight. It's a symbol for infinity when you turn it sideways. It's, uh, there's a lot of interesting things that, that come along with that number. So it was significant to me. And I decided to name my book that. And it was kind of catchy, like the four-hour work week, uh, eight-minute mastermind. I was like, okay. And then, uh, yeah, I feel like you can get through a chapter in eight minutes. I kept them nice and short and punchy. And it's a nice little reference guide. So uh, that's where the, the name came from. But, but really a mastermind for me compared to other models, right? Because I've done a lot of different things now. Written books, you know, books are great, but they take a year to write. And to really write a good one, it takes a lot of time and energy. And there's multiple revisions and editing. And you know, to get that finished product in your hand that you can consume is actually useful. That's a little bit of work. Yes. Uh, with a course, same thing. You need to have this big marketing team and you have to do big launches. You have to have affiliates. And, you know, it's, it's challenging to sell a course. Uh, mm. You know, co- coaching and consulting is easier to sell and you can get more money for it as, as a one-on-one uh, thing. But now it's one-on-one time. And, you know, there's that feast and famine wheel where you're up and down and you're selling a bunch and marketing a bunch and then you're fulfilling a bunch and it's back to square one. Uh, and then there's membership sites. Everybody wants to have a membership site with recurring billing. But if you, have a, if you don't have a list that's like 50,000 people plus, the likelihood you're going to sell enough to make the rent is very low. Mm. So uh, that's kind of a not right now thing. You don't start with a membership. But, so I started thinking, like, what's the model that most people can start with that you know, doesn't have a lot of inventory, really no inventory, no overhead, no big startup costs. You can get it running in a week or two if you're good and you know who you're going to work with and you have a solid offer. Um, and you can use it to learn. You can use it to grow. You can do it as the facilitator. It doesn't have to be all on you or all the delivery. And you can really, as a business model, add, plug in six figures of revenue into your business in five to 10 hours a month of delivery. Now, that's not including you know, marketing and sales time. Obviously, that's a little more time intensive. But once the delivery is going, it's not that much time to deliver. You know, I, I have 50 some odd clients now. It's wonderful. And I, I'm able to, to, to really work with the ones that need the most help at any given time. And my capacity is higher because I really only spend about a day of my week delivering for those clients and usually less than half a day. You know, it's like maybe a few hours a week. It's not a lot. Uh, and then we have a call every week and, and that's about it. And people send me questions as they have them and I answer them and I bring in experts to solve bigger things and to add more value to the community. And it's not all on me to deliver, which is awesome. And I can always hire coaches to, to help pick up the slack. So I love the model. Uh, it's a great place to start. It's a great way to build uh, credibility. It's a great way to build expertise. It's a great way to start moving towards the business that you want. And where you end up is you have this, this really cool mastermind that you now have built up all this content in a vault and you can begin to you know, put out courses and low ticket stuff and maybe write a book and, and really figure stuff out because you know, nobody can learn or teach in a vacuum. You need people to interact with, you mm-hmm. know, that ask questions in different ways and ask you to rephrase things and you get different insights from interacting with people. So if you just go straight to the course, I know because I started trying to do this in the beginning, I, I spent $45,000 on my first info products business in 2011 and it fell flat on its face. And I tried everything to make it work. And it was, even though I felt like I had a good idea, it just didn't, I couldn't quite find the market fit. And what was more important is I couldn't get it to, to advertise in a way that was functional because the powers that be at that time, uh, you know, how would I know this beforehand? But, you know, Craigslist didn't want me advertising something that was in direct competition with their top clients, which were real estate agents. So 
Mm. Um, <clears throat> so you, you learn these things only through trial and error. And the point is you don't start with the mass market thing. You know, Tesla didn't start with the Model 3. They started with a big toy for rich people that they sold a thousand of, which is totally reasonable. You could cold call and sell a thousand of these cars to the top collectors in the world, mm. raise $10 million, and now you have enough money to start a company and then build out the infrastructure to build the P85D. And, they, and even then, they didn't go mass market. Only now, with the, with the Model 3, did they ever really decide to go mass market. And they still are a very tiny part of, of the market. Um, and now their stock is going crazy and splitting five for one next week, and I'm a happy shareholder. So I, mean, I don't know as <laughs> yeah. much as I did. I own $22 uh, shares. I had 1,000 uh, shares at 22 bucks back in the day, which I'd be very, very happy with if I still owned them all. But I own a good chunk, and I'm happy. And you know, the, they've done really well. And I, I give Elon Musk all the credit in the world because he pioneered a system, or I don't know if he pioneered it, but he, he utilized and um, rolled out a system that I copy now and I teach my clients about, which is start with the, you know, the high-ticket, high-touch thing that you can mm. charge money for. And then build out from there. Like I, I've seen masterminds now with that as the core piece with 50 or 100 paying members. And then they have a local chapter where they have a membership and it's like different offshoots and they'll do several million dollars in revenue because they have these multiple tiers that people can play at. But it started with the mastermind. It's actually interesting. I read about Toyota. Apparently when Toyota tried to get into the marketplace, they couldn't afford to mass produce cars like, like some of the big American companies. So they actually had um, a lot of equipment that they kept changing over. So they, they got very fast at changing all this equipment over to be able to cre create these cars in small volumes, but very well built. Mm -hmm. So the reality is when you look at 2.8 today, you see how many cars they built, but the reality is they started off very small. They started off just making a small number of cars well until yeah. they got market share. Well, and that's the key is people don't realize they think they have to be the biggest, baddest competitor out of the gate. But every company that's smart starts with solving a, a very specific problem really well. Mm -hmm. And that's how they get traction. And then they have some money to play with. So in masterminds, like pricing-wise, what what's the thing is a good pricing model in terms of, say, yeah, so, you know, oh, it obviously depends on the industry, obviously. But. Totally. It depends on the problem you're solving, depends on the expertise, depends on your expertise, depends on your level of sophistication, what demand there is for your services. You know, it could be a straight-up replacement for your coaching and consulting. It can be a hybrid. It can be a course attached to it. It can be a lot of different things. So there's all these var variables. But I always tell people for a one-off beta test mastermind, that's like a half a day to two days typically, no less than 500 bucks and you know you're aiming for like a thousand would be a really good mm -hmm. you know it's it's reasonable people can get into it and it's not so cheap that you know you're you're running around trying to get a million clients you can do it with 5 10 15 people and you're really happy with the result mm -hmm. and then you get feedback and you customize from there and work out any issues and then you go bigger from there uh, and it's just a way to quickly iterate and get running uh, in that direction so that when you eventually flesh everything out you have recurring revenue you have multiple clients and you have a, a feeder system which brings you you know, these leads through ideally, uh, like, a, you know, for example, a book funnel is really effective where mm -hmm. you sell books, but you also sell lower ticket offerings, prices, courses, things that people don't really need to talk to somebody to buy that helps you liquidate your ad spend and reach more people. And you're sifting through finding the ones that will actually join your master fund. Mm, makes sense. Yeah. And, and start small, obviously. I mean, I think part of the problem is if you try to try to start something really big, it'll crush you in the, in the amount of work required rather than just try to start simple. Well, it's just too big. And you got you to gotta learn and grow into the person that can do all that or delegate all that or lead a team to do all that and knows enough about each thing to do it. So like I always tell people, start with your, well, who's your person, your avatar? What's the offer? What's the transformation you're providing? And, and that's the oat or the tau, if you will, you know, <laughs> whatever the, the acronym is. And if you can get that baseline piece, okay, now I can go to market with that and start selling that. Okay, now I've got some, some paying clients. Cool, we got real money in the bank. We know that people are willing to pay for this because they've actually paid for it. 
and then we go and build it. And you do this in integrity. You speak to, you know, hey, this is going to be a beta or a pilot, and this is going to be the way we run it. And you know, we're going to do this price now, but it'll be uh, more when we do it for real, when it's fully fleshed out, and you'll get more of my time now, but less later. And if you're really not happy, I'll give you your money back. So if they're not willing to buy under those circumstances, it probably wasn't that good of an idea to begin with. Mm. You need to pivot. Need to go back. Mm. But I'd rather have you know that in a week or two and instead of six months from now after you've invested all your time and energy and this is your one shot and it's got to work and oh my God, when you could have tested 12 things in that time if you really mm. wanted to. I mean, the whole light bulb thing, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, you know, that's, that's how I teach. That's how I recommend people do it. And it's confronting, mm. right? And I, I run into a lot of people that just, they, they have a lot of ideas about the way things should be and they want to run their business a certain way. I'm like, here's what works and you can try it a different way. I'm just, I can't guarantee that it'll work. I just know that this works because I've done it a hundred times and I understand psychology, I understand sales, I understand marketing, I understand how people buy and why they buy. And, you know, I'm giving you the playbook. You know, if you want to try a different way, I just can't validate that it'll work as well. Uh, but there's certainly more than one way to skin a cat. So, you know, I highly recommend that people, because here's the thing, you got to check your ego, you got to check your mindset and your beliefs at the door. Because if you were the person who could have the things that you want already, then you'd already have them. Right? If you're the kind of person that could run a million dollar business, you'd be running a million dollar business. Mm. Until you're a million dollar business runner, you're not that person yet. And you have to kind of take everything that you think and feel with a grain of salt and maybe recognize that, you know, if somebody's telling you something in your best interest, who you've paid money to in order to get a result that you paid for, that you want, maybe throwing out their advice without trying it or really giving its due is, is silly and short-sighted. But mm. people do it all the time. And I just try to, re- you know, I try to gently remind them, like, you paid me for a reason is to tell you what works. You know, I, I, I'm not here to argue with, with you about the nature of reality or how you perceive it. I'm here to tell you what's worked and what will work and what continues to work. And if we need to, we'll shift gears and, and make it more applicable to what you're doing specifically. But generally, the structure works for a reason. And it's quite interesting. I, I had a situation where I had a, a friend of mine that runs a sporting thing and I said to him, I gave him this really great idea about reoccurring income. And he goes, oh, no, that's not very good. Come up with something better. And the reality was I hadn't paid me for it. So I said, well, that's the last good idea you're ever going to get out of me because the reality is people pay me a lot of money for these ideas and you're currently just going, no, nope, not doing it. And the reason why is sometimes there's no skin in the game. They're not paying for the idea. They're not paying for the consulting. So it's a throwaway thing. So free advice is worth every cent, right? Yeah. Well, people pay attention to what they pay for and what pays them. Mm. You know, we're very fickle because in the age of information, in the age of Google and YouTube, if, if free information worked, everybody would be a shredded billionaire in their dream relationship with perfect kids and True. no problems. Yeah. And guess what? We're not. And the reason is because people pay attention to what they pay for and what pays them. We have limited faculty in which to focus and we need to prioritize our time. And it takes discipline and self-administered discipline. Uh, otherwise, life will discipline you. You'll, you'll be relegated to have to work for somebody else and build their dream. Because guess what? We all need to make money to make the world go around. That's just how this world is. I'm not here to argue with you. It's just reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, money talks ultimately. I mean, that's the... <laughs> that's it. If people want to pay for something, great. Produce it. If people mm. aren't, move on. Yeah. I, I was actually listening to a great little podcast, got a little idea the other day, was that try to figure out how quickly you can explain something succinctly to someone that, that gets a sale. So the shortest amount of words that you can use, and I think that like a mastermind scenario would be that the better you get at explaining it, and, and, and the shorter time it takes to explain it and get their interest is really the, the key. And if you can get interest from that, well, then you've got a, you've got a, pro, you've got a product to sell. Yeah. Otherwise, I always love the, it's in my trunk right now. Do you want to buy it? That's mm-hmm. my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, you know, I just, because they really want it until the money can, conversation comes up and then there's no money forthcoming. Okay, well, that wasn't that good of an idea. No, 
and, and I think the thing is that if they don't ask you how do I do that or, or anything like that, you know that you've stuffed up because there's no, it's like dead silence. The crickets come up and it's like, yeah. okay, now I haven't explained it well. And I think people don't want to hurt your feelings, but it's better to have your feelings hurt than, than go financially up, upside down, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be really bad if you actually did that idea and then found out it was a bad idea and someone said, oh, I knew it was a bad idea, but I didn't want to upset you. Um, exactly. Yeah. You'd hate that person. That person's yeah. not your friend. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, regardless of what you're going to create in the world, and I, you know, I think this could be like Kickstarter is another great example of this, mm. you know, Kickstarters, you invest you know, a moderate amount of money in some video production, some marketing, some additional assets, you know, creating a prototype, and then you put it out to the world and you say, will you buy this? And mm. we'll give it to you under the best possible circumstances. We'll incentivize you as much as we possibly can to get you to, to be early adopters. And lots of people are willing to do that, provided it's a good offer. And if they're not, then it's probably your product. And it's a better thing to learn that then than having gone to production and all that crazy stuff that goes along with that. Because you could be a hundred grand in the hole before you figure out if it'll work or not. And that used to be the way business was done. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. would spend untold amounts of money on stuff that just never worked, never went to market properly. Mm-hmm. And, and they lost. Luckily, they were giant corporations, but they wouldn't have got that way if they had been doing those in the beginning. I mean, you look at Google. I mean, the amount of projects they've started and never, never yeah, finished. Yeah. And they decided and they're getting sued Plus. over a couple of them, like Google Plus now. Yeah, they decided it was an absolute failure at 700 million users. I mean, I don't exactly how you determine failure, but you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, well, I guess when you're on the scale of Google, if 2 billion people aren't using it, then... Yeah, exactly right. I was guessing. So, I mean, I think... So, part of what you said to me is you built several several um, seven-figure businesses. How did you do that? How, what's, the, what's your yeah, so, recipe for success, if you like? And it's so weird because I've done it in different industries too. So, I got my start in real estate. That was my first serious entrepreneurial job. And I did that for a couple of years. My dad passed away. And then I got into financial trading because I always wanted to work on Wall Street. I actually had worked as a cold call on Wall Street prior to that. Uh, but I didn't really want to be on the trading desk or the trading floor. Like I didn't have that, that kind of vision. I just had this vision of being able to make my money work for me and invest and, and all that good stuff. And, and I ended up, uh, as part of this mastermind I was a part of, I gave somebody a stock tip one day. And he came to me months later and he said, Hey, you know that, uh, that that 3D printing stock you turned me on to? I'm like, yeah. It's, I'm like, he's like, doing great. I'm like, yeah. It's like, uh, you know, I paid for my wedding with that. I'm like, that's cool, man. Congratulations. It's awesome. You know, weddings aren't cheap. I don't know what they're like in Australia, but they're pretty expensive. I don't think they're ever cheap. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and then he sells to me, he says, uh, well, can I give you money to manage? Like, can I give you some of this money? And you just like turn it over a few times. I'm like, like, is that, is that easy? <laughs> <laughs> I just turn it over a couple of times. I'm like, uh, let me ask around, you know, because I wouldn't do it just for you. Like, I'd want to have a group of people that did it because, you know, I'm doing the math in my head. Like, I need to have a certain amount of money for it to make sense if I was taking a percentage, right? Mm. So, I made a list of 200 people that I'd met over the years that I thought maybe under some circumstance might invest. To my chagrin and crazy, you know, I was trying to prove myself wrong, but 17 of them said, yeah, and they gave me money. Like, okay, we're in, we're doing this. And I started a hedge fund, right? Because I went to people and been like, well, what do I do with this money? Like, if I raise it, they're like, oh, you start a hedge fund. And these are smart people. These are people that trade on Wall Street. I'm like, well, I can just start a hedge fund. Like, I don't need the Pope to come and like you know, bless me and wave a wand and be like, you are a hedge fund worthy. And they're like, no, you need a, you know, an LP, a GP, uh, you know, based in Delaware. Here's a lawyer. Here's an accountant, third party administrator. And so uh, the process to it. Laws. Yeah, it's basically like, here's all the stuff you need to do a hedge fund. I'm like, I don't need a license. Like, nope. I'm like, okay. I'm going to go start a hedge fund. And I had this exemption that doesn't even exist anymore. It was in 2012 uh, where I could you know, bring on a certain number of unaccredited and certain number of accredited. And as long as it was under a certain number of people overall, it was fine. I was I think Australia has something similar where you can only have 20 sophisticated investors or something like that. That's right. 
Yeah. So there's something like that. I don't even remember all the ins and outs, to be honest, but I, I partnered up with another fund that was already running. It was successful and they managed some of the money and I managed some of the money. And you know, lo and behold, we had 106% year in 2013, which is a 25% year of the market. So we quadrupled the market on a good year. Uh, so we we're really happy with that. And we had this one month where we made like a million and forty thousand dollars in profit in May. I'll never forget because my whole life I was like, I want to be a millionaire, I want to be a millionaire. And then all of a sudden we made a million dollars. It wasn't all my money, but we made a million dollars in a short amount of time. And I'm like, holy crap, you know, this is wild. And I never thought I'd make that kind of money. And I always thought that if I made that kind of money, uh, all my problems would be magically solved and everything would be amazing forever. And I would live life, you know, really well from then on out. And it just wasn't true, man. I, I was actually burned out. I was, I was disconnected. I felt like I didn't have any real the wrong relationships and I had money, but it didn't really make me any happier. And, you know, and there's people listening to this right now. They're like, I can't pay my rent. Screw you. But uh, really, like if you ever get to be blessed and fortunate enough to have all your dreams come true, make sure there's fulfillment attached to it. Make sure you're doing something that actually fills people. So now I have three rules, which are help a lot of people, have a lot of fun, make a lot of money. And sometimes I shouldn't put rule three as rule three, but it's rule three for a reason. You know, sometimes I do things because I want to help people and have fun that won't make me a lot of money or will actually hurt my financial position. Mm. Uh, but I feel like I'm happier overall mm. as a result of this. And this year has been hard. I'm not going to stand here like, you know, nothing's ever wrong. Mm. I've had some ups and downs this year and I, I lost big on a big bet early this year with COVID. And, uh, you know, I was in the hole and I'm still climbing out of that hole. But mm. overall, generally in the last six years since I've been running this particular business, I've been thrilled, you know, helping people build their businesses. And, uh, you know, it's been a few bad experiences, but by and large, generally, like people are super happy to have the, the you know, they value my, my contribution. They value uh, what I have to offer. And uh, I do want to build different types of companies. I probably will. Uh, but for now, I love doing what I'm doing. I love writing books. I love getting them out to people. And I love the, the, just the constant inflow of people like, oh, I started this mastermind, changed my life. You know, I started helping this person and oh my God, and this and that. And it's just, it, it makes it all new again. You know, there's only so much that you can experience as yourself and, and then it becomes commonplace. Uh, after a while, yeah, so you, you think that it's normal, right? And then they go, no. It's like, and you realize that other people are different levels and then they don't. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, you know, and I know a lot of people like this, so I'm not saying I'm the biggest, baddest, you know, guy on the, on the, on the hill, but I get sometimes a couple hundred messages a month of people that are like legitimately enthralled with what I'm doing. And that feels really good. I'm not going to say it doesn't. Um, I'm sure those people get millions, but mm -hmm. for somebody like me who never anticipated being much of anything growing up in the place I grew up with, with the problems I had, I was happy just to get out of my childhood alive. You know, it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it mine, good. man. <laughs> I was on the run from yeah. my old man for a few years. He was like, yeah, oh, hey. I, think he was gonna, I don't know whether he was going to kill us or what he was going to do, but I don't know if find out. <laughs> I was 16 when I got in a fist fight with my dad. I almost killed him. It was rough, you know, but mm. he was a drinker. That's, yeah. part of the reason I, that's part of the reason I don't drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah likewise. I think at the end of the day, I think... Um, People, I think stock entrepreneurs need to remember that their, their business is a bit like the stock market, right? There's ups and downs. There's never any consistency. In reality, there's no company like that anyway. I mean, particularly when you look at COVID and like I just saw Pizza Hut or something has gone into receivership and that's a big chain, right? And you got to wonder whether they were on the brink or whether that just pushed them over. Who knows? But the reality is, is that, you know, that's here's the thing is most people are less than three months away from bankruptcy. Mm. The vast majority of companies are less than three months from bankruptcy. Yeah. If you cut somebody's cash flow off for three months, most of them can't survive that. They can't come back. Yeah, oxygen. They cut your oxygen yeah. off. You know? So, like, I'm writing another book. Uh, I wrote it already. It's being edited um, called The Eight Minute Money Machine. I'm keeping this eight minute series going because I was a hedge fund manager. I feel like I understand money better than most people will. Uh, and that's not to brag or impress. I just dealt with money a lot. So, I have some principles now that I like, I don't trade much anymore. 
I, I do it for fun, but I don't do it with large amounts of money because I used to have to watch it all the time. I'd come into work and lose 100 grand in a day and then come back and make 200 grand and then go back and lose 300 grand and I have to go back into work and do it again and again and again. Most people don't know what that's like. It takes a whole different type of person and you have to build that, that stomach for that to be able to yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, mental. Not take it personally every time you lose money. Mm. So instead of that, I now I have a different philosophy. I stay broke and I, I fill my money buckets in tears, right? There's five buckets and there's everything from just cash in the bank, three months. Right, just to make sure you know if you're single, it's three months. If you're if you have kids and dependents, it should be more like six months. Mm-hmm. You, know, you can kind of define uh, how you do it, but that much money just in the bank, just ready to go. You know, maybe some in cash or gold or some you know easily convertible thing as well. Uh, then you want to look at life insurance and investment grade life insurance, and that's a whole two hour conversation. Then you want to look at portfolio assets, so gold, stocks, commodities, um, you know, bonds, whatever else. Right, that you have a portfolio that can grow. Then you want to look at real estate. And why is real estate so far down the list? Well, it takes a lot of time and energy and attention to build a real estate portfolio. It's not an overnight thing and you can't liquidate it like that. It can take you six months to get out of a bad investment in real estate. So that's why I recommend it later because you can do the, you know, basically stocks and cash and gold and all this other stuff. You can manage that with very little time. You, you research it once, you put it together, you maybe check out on it every once every six months and you can liquidate it if you really need to. Uh, with real estate, good luck. So then that'd be the fourth bucket. And the fifth bucket is what I call high risk. And the high risk stuff is the crypto and the angel investing and the this and the other thing. And yeah, that's, you can get some sick returns in all those things. Uh, you know, I've had very good luck with crypto, but it could also go the other way. You lose all your money. Yeah, so that's going to be risky for most people. <laughs> and if you don't have those first tranches filled and those first buckets filled, it's really hard to be objective about a high risk investment. You're going to end up doing squirrely things and watching it too much and freaking out every time it you yeah. know, flips and flaps. Like there was a point at which with all the crypto I owned, <laughs> My, my net worth would fluctuate 5 or 10% in a day. Mm. And I was like, this is wild. If I didn't have cash on hand, I would be freaking out right now. Mm. And a lot of my friends were. I remember like 2017 when it was going up like crazy and it would yeah. go all over the place and then crash again. I was like, they didn't have the, the capacity to not be emotional about it. And I was like, the reality, oh. crypto and stuff is more gambling than investing right now. Really, you're just gambling on the future until it becomes a more solid. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pure speculation. I can't really think of a good use case for a lot of the, the cryptos out there. I think Bitcoin might stick around, but anything else is kind of a crapshoot um, at this point. Ethereum, I'm okay with too. And I think Ethereum is, has some utility to it. People are building things on, on Ethereum that makes it more valuable. Um, so, I think of the banks are now starting to sort of take it on now too. So you, right. you can see that eventually it's, it's, it's a little bit, takes a while for something to click in. But once the banks get a hold of it, then you, you don't know that <laughs> there's something there, right? Well, and I think uh, it's got to happen, right? Because the monetary system as it exists doesn't solve all the problems that it needs to solve. Mm. Uh, you know, private ownership and transactions, you know, it's, it's very challenging to use, use cash now with COVID. So like we need a better way to keep our transactions digital and secure and away from prying eyes because privacy is partially what you spend your money on, right? You should have autonomy and being able to spend your money. Um, and, you know, there's arguments for and against that, but I believe that a free society should be able to have private transactions. It's actually really funny in Australia. We, um, I, I guess it's funny, it's bad for some people, is that apparently the crooks are having trouble laundering their money now. Because yeah, we've got imagine. we've got states locked down, so you can't move between states. You can't. There's not a lot of uh, can't go to a casino or casinos you know, and roll over the money and launder the money. And obviously the crooks aren't very smart, so they haven't gotten a crypto yet, right? Mostly. <laughs> and so it's like it's like full buckets. So we have a we have a thing called um, JobKeeper in Australia, where they they basically pay the employees to keep or employers to keep paying the employees so that they would keep um, keep them on, right? Mm-hmm. Like PPP, we have something similar here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If we sort of come up with something off the UK model or something, the reality is that we're going to call it Crook Keeper. <laughs> 
right? So these guys <laughs> might have to get paid by the government to stop laundering money, right? Because it's like, but cash is becoming so, apparently thousands of ATMs have been shut down now and stuff. So cash is moving away from the marketplace and the banks are recognising that they could get away with it um, and not have to provide that, that entry though because people don't want the cash. Mm. Um, and it's going to change society dramatically once that happens. Well, I just heard that the Fed in America, and there's central banks all over the world, so I'm sure they'll follow suit eventually, but the Fed uh, in Boston, I believe, is partnering with MIT in order to create open source cryptocurrency tools for central banks. Mm. And I, I think that's actually pretty progressive. You know, for all the things that the Fed can be blamed about, I think that's actually a kind of a cool thing, that they're going to make mm. open source cryptocurrency tools that anybody mm. can build on and use. Uh, with MIT, which is, you know, they're pretty, yeah, pretty yeah. smart. <laughs> and I think in some respects, I mean, despite the, the downside of COVID, I think that the upside of it is that a lot of technology and a lot of thought processes, like Australia, they brought forward telehealth, which they thought was going to take them 10 years to get here. And now you can talk to your doctor on the tele. I don't know how, how that was going to be that difficult, but apparently it was, right, <laughs> for a government to do, is be able to actually talk to your doctor and not go see them. Like, apparently yeah. that was hard for the government to do. Remember um, when they tried to do the Obamacare website? It, it was a billion-dollar sham, and it, like, never worked right. Yeah. <laughs> Who spends a billion dollars on a website? That, yeah. Um, it, that got could, paid the billion dollars on a website. That's what I want to know. <laughs> So like someone made a lot of money out of a website. And yeah, I think that's the, um, I thought probably coming full circle and the whole thing was with masterminds is that if the reality is you don't need big numbers, you don't need um, a big cost involved. And I think in this day and age in terms of, of what people know and then they don't have a job anymore, let's say, then you've got that, that great scenario of, of the fact that you can start an, an online business. Mm. And and I think masterminds, you know, you convinced me pretty much that it would be a great idea because at the end of the day, it's quick and 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 if you can convince 15 people to give you money, then you've, you've done the marketing research you need to do to get to that point, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and we, we teach a little bit about that in the book. Obviously, it's not a sales or a marketing book, and we, we do more of that in our program. But if you want to check it out, I have a, a PDF link. I just realized like a lot of you people are probably in Australia, I'd imagine. So if you don't want to deal with having it shipped to you, which I will happily ship it to you. It's just more expensive and it'll take longer. Thanks, Walt. Uh, you, can go to, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can go to 8minutemastermind.com slash PDF slash PDF, 8minutemastermind.com slash PDF, and you can, you can check it out there as well. Okay, cool. Uh, we, won't, we won't hammer you too hard on shipping. We'll just, we'll just sell you the ebook and I'll do that. <laughs> but you get the ebook if you buy the, the physical copy anyway. So. Yeah. Amazon's gone, Amazon Australia's got a little bit better, um, but I believe that they still ship books out of the UK. Um, they print and ship out of the UK. So wow. one, one day when they start printing in Australia with actual books, I think it'll be really good. Yeah, I think Amazon's pretty new there. So hopefully Yeah, yeah. They're, and they're slowly getting the market, but you could see... Everybody's saying, "Oh no, they, they won't. They haven't made many sales, and they're not doing too well, and all sort of stuff." And you go, "They don't care about that. It's the whole story, right? They're going to basically yeah. move through that process until they own the market, and people are not paying attention, and they're just going to get caught out." Well, you, you think we'd understand that by now? Because the hmm. Jeff Bezos has come on record saying that your margin is my opportunity. Like, hmm. I'll lose money as long as it takes to push you out of the market, and then I can charge whatever I want. Yeah, yeah. Own the market. I mean, Amazon isn't even the cheapest. Uh, alternative. You can buy a lot of cheaper things at a lot of places, but you can't beat the fact that it's going to show up at your door tomorrow and you don't have to think about it. Again. Yeah, no, like, I'm, I looking, never, I'm willing to pay a little more so I never have to go to Target or Walmart again. You know? That's right, exactly. <laughs> and the customer service and stuff. I mean, I bought something online the other day and I went to the actual supplier website and looked at it and they're in America and looked on Amazon was the same price, but the freight was slightly cheaper. So I've decided to buy it on Amazon because I figured, well, at the end of the day, I can, I've got a much better way of knowing it's going to arrive on time and, you know what I mean, like it's going to be managed. So that trust level. It's the devil the, you know versus the devil you don't. 
You yeah, know? exactly. And I don't have to re-enter my form. I don't have to worry about like some weird customer service thing that I'm not used to. Mm. It's all in one place. And, and that, that's the biggest brilliance is that they made it about customers since the beginning. They're always yeah. pushing to make it better for customers. A lot of things I order is like, is there the next day now? And it's yeah, not even yeah. guaranteed the next day. I know, it's bizarre. Like even in Australia, like we're getting stuff, you know, next day and you think, well, that's pretty quick. Like even books are coming faster. So I think that's, I think that's the trick. And I think you probably said a solid thing. It's probably part of masterminds too is focus on the customer and focus on the person. Mm-hmm. If their experience is good, then that's the main thing because at the end of the day, they, their experience is what's going to make or break it, right? That's right. And I, I just want to help people, man. And if, if masterminds are one way to do that, great. Uh, I'm not sold on that being the only way to help people. I just think it's a great place to start. You know, given all the alternatives, and I've looked at all of them, I've done all of them, I believe masterminds, I keep coming back to them over and over again, both as a teaching tool, as a learning tool, as a, you know, I'm, I got invited to one next week that Pete Vargas is putting on. He did a huge, um, you know, uh, like 50,000, 60,000 person free challenge that led into you know, his last big thing with Tony Robbins and Dean Graziosi, and he's having yeah. Dean come on and a bunch of really like awesome people. And I'm sure he can charge a lot of money for this, but he's like just inviting me for free, which I thought was really cool. So nice. yeah, I'm not saying I have to brag or impress anybody, but like it's been one of these things that now that I've been in the game long enough, and I'm kind of known as the mastermind guy and I wrote the book on the subject. Mm. By the way, I, wrote, I read every other book on the subject, every one I could find, <laughs> yeah, everything yeah. I could find. And some of them were god awful, some of them were pretty good. I actually was ordering one before I wrote my book and giving it to my clients just so they have a resource. And that one's called Leveraging Masterminds. Uh, but I just... You know, I, I felt like I could do better. I felt like I had more experience. I felt like I had done more of these and I had a, my own methodology and people really responded to it. Like I haven't heard too many bad things about the book. I've had one person ask for their money back and I, I guarantee every book. So yeah. out of thousands and thousands of books we've sold now, one person refunded, that's pretty good. Yeah. Some people get a bee in their bonnet. They just want to... <laughs> Yeah, or they just want to be the one, right? The yeah, one exactly. guy. The one with the best. Great. Okay, cool. Here's your ten dollars. Goodbye. It's interesting. So I've started buying because we're we're making a bit of a play for the podcast market <clears> with a podcast platform, and I bought a book on podcasting, and the front cover was really nice, and the website was really nice, and I got the book and realized all they'd done is basically taken their um, ebook uh, PDF essentially and whacked it in a book, and it was so disappointing that they'd got so far, and then basically at the end of that, it was just really just a PDF report inside yeah. a book. And you think yeah, that's well, one thing I wasn't going to do. If I was going to write a book, it's going to be a book. It's not the longest book in the world. So it's less than 200 pages, but it's packed with value. Like, that's enough. Like it, most books on Amazon, you know, below 200 pages get yeah. read, right? It's, it's the big yeah. books that never get read. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and Tim Ferriss car- crushes it. He's, his whole thing is like, if you're going to write a book, write a book. But I don't have three years and, you know, 60,000 words in me. I just want to get it out the door. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah, I think, well, we, we do a lot of books for clients. And I think 40,000 words is a nice number. It, it, it's achievable within a, say, three or four month period to write something like that. Um, and if you can't explain your, your concept in, in 200 pages, you're certainly not going to be able to do it in 400. That's right. <laughs> That's right. So, yeah, I'm grateful for the whole experience. It's made me a better writer. It's made me more concise. It's really given me the, I, I understand now that editors, great editors, ghostwriters are worth their weight in gold because mm. I'm not good at like formatting and getting the chapters right. I can just write a lot, hand it off and say, hey, make this a book. And I think you got to again. You got to put your ego away because you, you just because you we used to say you know you're you're a um, you're an author not a writer because mm. the idea of the information you know is really the important part. Getting the words are just the mechanics of getting it done. That's right. Mm. Yeah, and and it's just been very gratifying. And I, I was scared to publish it for a very long time. It was never good enough. Never good enough. And I'm so glad I did. I know you work with a lot of authors, so you can understand. Mm. That. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, so yeah, if anybody's out there listening that's an author, just get it done. Get it out there. It's not gonna. <laughs> And the cool thing about it now is like with KDP and some of these tools, you can update it. Mm. Like I updated my book twice so far. 
You know, I added some stuff. I changed the chapter. People were like, oh, it would be really cool if you talked about this. I added a virtual mastermind chapter for COVID. You know, it's okay to update it. Yeah, and I think that's the thing. It's not set in stone. Like, it's, it is cumbersome when you've got to update print versions, but it's not impossible. And within a week, it's done. So it's not like, you know, you have to, you have to live with these things that you've wanted to change in your book. You can change it, and then the new person gets it. It's got a whole new version. So it's not right. quite as bad as it used to be where there's somebody print 10,000 books and send it to a bookstore and that was it you know (laughs) if it's a book to get clients then it's a great reason to reach out say hey i just updated my book here's the new copy oh thanks yeah and as i think you said something interesting when we're talking about before which probably wrap up on but um the idea of doing a mastermind is that you're actually getting all this information which essentially could be a book anyway yeah really you know you're learning as you're going and i think that's the best way to do is learn from clients um but as you're learning as you go you can write a book off just the back of what you learn and you didn't have to really re- even write a single word if you keep record of it. So, yeah. Yeah, that's why I record all my calls. Like I have something like 3,000 calls recorded and uh, it's a lot of material that I can use. Uh, there's a new app that I haven't been able to utilize yet because I don't use Thinkific. They do use Vimeo though. It's called Searchy. Um, I like I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, so Stu McLaren came up with it or it's his team that did it. Uh, and I really love it because you basically can search a keyword and whatever you're looking to learn about and all the times it shows up in the video, it, it indexes the audio. And then it tells you where on timestamps, uh, mm. where it is in the video. So if you want to learn about a specific topic, it's really great for courses. Yes. If you want to just like, oh, I just want to learn about this. And where does he talk about this or she talk about this? Um, yeah. Really so I think the danger is some of these times that somebody will record a one-hour video and you want to know one, two minutes of piece of information and then you've got to get through that one hour and you miss it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> you miss the bit anyway because you got sick of listening to the bit that you didn't want to listen to. You actually just wanted that bit and you couldn't find it. You zoned it. out. <laughs> you started <laughs> clicking around. <laughs> and they miss it anyway, right? Yeah, so, yeah. Well, thanks, Brad. Or you have to dig through the transcript. Thanks, Brad, for coming. I mean, we could probably talk for hours on this, but... Um, oh, my pleasure. Yeah, and I really appreciate you, and, and thanks for, for you taking your time to sort of impart with stuff on memberships and, and sort of masterminds. And I think at the end of that, what we'll do is we'll put some links up in terms of your book and stuff like that so people can get access to it. That'd be great. And, uh, and if anybody wants to reach out with uh, questions or if anything resonated with you, uh, please yeah. reach out to me on Facebook. It's facebook.com slash bradhart. I mm-hmm. love hearing from people and uh, yeah, I hope you guys build masterminds and change the world with them because they're really powerful tools. And you've got a really great little free um, mastermind, 21, I think it's 21 day mastermind thing, which is really great. So yeah, it's certainly worth having a go even if it, at a free level. So really yep. appreciate your time and I uh, hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, John. Thanks everybody. <laughs>